0: Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Jesus often spoke to the crowds in parables. These stories of everyday people and everyday places point us towards a spiritual story, a heavenly reality, if only we would look to see. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. We start a uh, new series today called Parables. Matthew 13, verse 34, it says Jesus spoke all these things in parables. He did not speak to the crowd without using a parable. It was one of the key ways that Jesus uses to teach, and we're going to be talking about some of these parables over the next six weeks. Now, it's really important that you do not confuse parables With parabolas. Who remembers? Year 11 and 12, I spent, you know, half my life drawing parabolas. You know, if you get a quadratic equation... It looks uh, a little like this, you know, sometimes if you show off, you can factorise the binomials, but I don't, want to, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, dazzle you with my uh, mathematic ability today, but, you know, to find x, it's uh, minus b over 2a, and so if you quickly do the math, x equals, someone say it with me, X equals 3. And so if X equals 3, just off the top of my head, that would mean Y is equal to 6. And so you could, you could graph that using those points. You kind of, if that's an X axis and that's a Y axis, then uh, 3 becomes the axis of symmetry, all right? Very important is the axis of symmetry on, the, on the, uh, the X factor scale, whatever that's called. <laughs> but then why, if this is the Y doodah, then that's the 6. And, and so 3 and, and 6 actually becomes... The vertex point, who knew that was called the vertex of of a parabola, a couple of really smart people. And then just off the top of my head, there's another equation that you can use (laughs) to find the the focus, which is uh, y equals minus 4 over, no, just a 4 over a, and if you plug that in, the, the, uh, the focus is always on the axis of symmetry, but the y is minus 4 over a, and so that is 6.25, that becomes the focus point, that's the vertex point, you can use all of those. any of you know how to work out the directives? Neither do I, but I know the answer is uh, 5.75. It's another point, you know, that's kind of measured across here somewhere, 5.75. And you can graph all of those points, right? And you can draw a perfect parabola. I drew, I'd say, close to 6,000 parabolas in year 11 and 12. I still got no idea why. (laughs) It, It has not helped my life in any way it's very important that we understand this morning who who was looking forward to a mass lesson in church this morning just in case you were we have prayer teams down the front (laughs) at the end of the service it's very important we understand parables are completely different to parabolas you know parabolas are boring just boring parabolas have many points that you can graph, and and parabolas have absolutely no point to life. (laughs) Parables, on the other hand, are not boring. In fact, Jesus' parables are such brilliant stories that they've been told in every language for the last 2,000 years. And even in our secular vocabulary today, doesn't matter where you go and you talk with a group of people somewhere in Australia who may never have walked into church, if you talk about a prodigal, people know that it means someone who is wayward in the family or someone who is lost, someone who has wandered away from the family values. People understand what prodigal means. Why? Because Jesus tells these brilliant stories that are called parables, and one of them's about a prodigal son. If you're in a conversation with a group of people, whether they've ever been to church or not, and you talk about a Samaritan, everyone automatically knows that a Samaritan is good. Although in their culture that Jesus was speaking to, that was not what they were thinking. He was turning their thinking upside down, but he tells such a brilliant story that when we see someone stop to help someone, someone go the extra mile to be kind to someone, we say they're a good Samaritan. Why? Because Jesus told these brilliant stories called parables. It's got into our language, parables. It says, Matthew 13, Jesus kept saying them in verse 35. It says, So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I'll open my mouth in parables and I'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world. God prophesied that he would send his son who would speak in parables and would uncover unseen or hidden spiritual reality. You see, parables are stories of everyday people and everyday places that point to an unseen spiritual reality. Jesus is using parables to to reveal unseen spiritual truth, things that are hidden from our physical eyes. You know, many parables begins with, the kingdom of God is like, or in Matthew particularly, it's the kingdom of heaven is, is like. And it's a kingdom that can't be seen. There's no physical boundaries. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can point to and say, you know, there is the physical kingdom. It's an unseen spiritual reality. And so Jesus points to things that can be seen. Nature becomes a, a witness to the spiritual world. He points to things in nature, to people and to places, and says, the kingdom of God's like that. I want to help you understand this really important thing that's been hidden from your eyes. Parables make one simple point. Unlike parabolas that have got many, many points and complex equations, parables aren't allegories. There's not a hidden meaning in every single part of the story. That's not why Jesus is telling the stories. He's telling a really cool story to make one simple point, but with a very significant challenge to our lives. Because as I said, the parables are about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not something that we simply enter when we die, but the kingdom of God enters into us as we walk on the earth. And when there's a kingdom, it means there's a king. And so for the kingdom of God to enter into us, it means that God becomes king. Now, Graham Goldsworthy you know, put, the, put it like this to describe the, the kingdom of God. He says, God's people in God's place under God's rule. And so parables have a simple point but a really significant challenge because it means surrendering our right and the rule of our lives to another king. And so Jesus is using parables to challenge our greed, our pride, our our laziness, our unfaithfulness, our our injustice, our our lack of mercy. And he's challenging us to, to be people that are faithful, that are gentle, that are merciful, that are just, that are humble. And we're going to be hearing about this over, over the next few weeks. And so parables are stories of everyday people in everyday places point to an unseen spiritual reality. Parables, one simple point, but a really significant challenge for our lives. And parables point to our need for a savior today and for all eternity. Sometimes when we think about the kingdom of God, or particularly as we look at parables in Matthew, talk about the kingdom of heaven, we, we, we initially think what happens when we die. And, and it's true. There is that there will be a kingdom that we're part of that goes on forever, but the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God enters into us now, and so parables point not just to what's going to happen when we die, but 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 it points to the way that we're called to live today, how we live with God as King today, and so it points to the whole spectrum of salvation from conversion to becoming more like Christ here on earth till the final coming again of Jesus as King and making all things right. And the good news is that as difficult it is to hand over reign and rule of our lives to somebody else, to another king, that when we do it, our relationship with God is made right, that was broken, and as we begin to walk in it, The broken relationships and the broken world around us begins to get put in right order. It's why Jesus says we can pray, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And lastly, parables teach us to make the main point of life the main point of our lives. You see, we've got a God who came to earth, he actually knows what the main point of life is. And so he's teaching these parables to help us make the main point of life, the main point of our lives. Parables, no point to life whatsoever. Hasn't helped me for 27 years. I can still kind of draw one. But these parables are revealing spiritual truth. It's helping us to see what life is really all about. I really believe God's going to use this series to wake us out of complacency to convict us and to challenge us to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Anyone wanna join me in that prayer? God, would you do that now? God, right now, as we open your word, and God, over these next six weeks, as we continue to open your word in our life groups, in our Sunday services, God, would you wake us out of complacency? Would you convict us of sin and selfishness And would you help us to become fully devoted followers of yours? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus often spoke parables in pairs, I think because he knows we're thick and we take a while to understand, you know, what the main point is. And so he often pairs them up just in case we missed the main point the first time. And today I'm going to read some parables that are written in a pair, and they're really simple parables. In fact, I'd say they're the shortest and the simplest uh, parables that Jesus spoke. The first one is in Matthew 13, verse 44. It says, "...the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field." It seems like an unusual event for Jesus to point to. It wasn't as unusual, it was, it was more easily understandable for the people of the time. Palestine was a place that if you've read your Bible, they were ravaged by marauding armies, invading armies at different times throughout their history. It was a time before they had banks, before they had insurance policies, before they had a safe hidden somewhere in their house. And so what people would do, knowing that sometime in their lifetime, people, an army is going to come and possibly you know, take their riches, they would bury in their backyard their wealth they would bury their treasure, they would hide it under rocks where only the person who buried it could find it so when armies came through, turned their house upside down, they wouldn't be able to find it, people understood this they they lived in a time where they buried treasure it's a little bit like us today. If you don't trust the banks, you stuff your money under your mattress. You put it under uh, your bed. I remember my sister, when she first got married, they inherited a bed from her husband's dead uncle. Oh, joy of joys. First get married, you're sleeping on your dead uncle's mattress. What well, was a joy well, it was the time when she was cleaning the bed frame and she found stuffed in the metal frame rolls of fifties. Greater joy. Not a bad bed after all. And in this parable here, you know, we see a guy, he says, he's Jesus is saying, imagine. Imagine you find a priceless treasure. It's like one in a million. It's like winning lotto. It's a treasure. That is so valuable that the guy in this story is willing to sell everything to get it. It says there in verse 44 it says, when he saw that treasure in his joy, he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy that field and get that treasure. You know, we've all got a joy meter. You know, we may know it's not quite as obvious as on the dash on our car, but we've all got a joy meter. We've all got a price we're willing to pay for something to receive the joy that it promises us. All right, We've all got a price we're willing to pay to receive the joy it promises us. And so we work out whether the joy that's being promised to us is, is worth paying that price. And so to jump out of a plane at Kabulcha costs $300. And we've got to decide, is it worth the cost? I mean, is not exactly the tourist capital of the world. Why, why you'd want to jump out there I'm not sure, but you can. The only good thing Kabulcha's got going for is an awesome service station that sells Krispy Kreme donuts. But uh, anyway, if you want to jump out of a perfectly good plane, land in a field in Kabulcha, it'll cost you 300 bucks. The alternative is you could get in another plane and you could stay in it and you could fly all the way to the Wits Sundays, which is a little bit cooler than Kabulcha, for the same price. You know who's willing to pay the cost? For the joy of skydiving, hands up. Not many of you who's willing to, a couple of you who's willing to pay the cost for the joy of the Whit Sundays. You can't really weigh up the cost. You know what about a kilo of truffle? Now you just got to remember, truffle has been found by a dirty pig snout. A pig's gone sniffing around in the dirt, and they've found this fungus buried in the dirt to get this stuff called truffle that costs a fungus that costs you 600 bucks a kilo. Who's willing to pay that cost for the joy of scraping a little bit on your pastor at night? Put your hand up. Oh, thank Jesus that there's not many of you. (laughs) I don't think our counselling centre could cope with a whole influx of people that uh, that need some help. 600 bucks for a bit of truffle. Now what about a bottle of Penfolds Grange? 800 bucks. Is there enough joy? Don't even answer this one. <laughs> you, you won't be coming down the front for prayer if you put your hand up for this one. People in this Baptist church will go and find you. And they'll... <laughs> 800 bucks, is it really worth? The, the joy, what about, you know, top of the line Pinareno, Pinarello bike so that you can join the mammal club. You too can look like this on your Pinarello Middle-aged men in Lycra, 10 grand one of these bikes costs. Who's willing to pay that cost for the, the, the promise of that joy of being a mammal? Put your hand up. No one's game, but I know some of you got one. You love puncing around in your Lycra. No way, I'm paying that cost. I'm about to buy a Renovator's delight. 30 years of repayments. 30 years of repayments. You've got to pay bank fees, stamp duty. And then you've got to weigh that up against all of those costs with having to stay at home and live three more years with your parents. Is it worth the cost? We've all got a joy meter. We make decisions based on the joy that's going to be promised as to what cost it's worth to pay. You you see, for most of us, the the most expensive thing we'll ever buy will be a house. You know, we'll stand outside in front of a house somewhere that an agent has bashed in and we'll decide... Whether this renovator's delight or this hidden treasure is worth the cost. And we'll weigh it up. Is it worth the cost for the next 30 years of my life? The guy in this story, this parable that Jesus is telling, he's not so interested in the field. He just knows the treasure that's hidden in that field. And so this guy is a real estate agent's dream. He goes to him and says, I don't care what the cost is. I'll give you everything I've got to buy that land. I'm sold. That treasure is worth any cost. Jesus says, if you still haven't kind of got the idea that the hidden treasure promises so much joy that it's worth every sacrifice, let me tell you one more story. Verse 45, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. This is a guy who hasn't just stumbled across a hidden treasure. He's actually been searching for it his whole life. He's a guy who knows what it is when he's been looking for fine pearls and he's bought a whole stack of them throughout his life. But then he sees this treasure, he sees this pearl that is better, more beautiful than any other pearl he's ever seen. And remember Jesus speaking into a context where at the time fine pearls were actually worth more than gold. He's saying when he sees a pearl that is better and more beautiful than any he's ever seen before same deal sold I'll give you everything i got everything I've amassed everything I've collected everything to have that treasure now remember what parables are about point to everyday people and places to, re- to reveal an unseen spiritual reality make one simple point with a really significant challenge to everyday lives They make the main point of life the main point of our lives and they point to a saviour both for today and for all of eternity. Now the main point of these two parables is that the joy of knowing Jesus is greater than the cost of following him. In his joy he went and sold everything. Found something so good, so beautiful, so much joy pay any cost. The joy of knowing Jesus is greater than the cost of following him. You notice that Jesus doesn't try and sugarcoat the cost. They both point to the fact that this is a great cost if you want that hidden treasure. If you you want to receive the joy that it promises, there is a great cost. He doesn't try and and kind of give you just a nice little sugar-coated pull. He says there's a cost. But the joy of knowing him is greater than the cost of following him. Now, Mary worked that out. Now, Mary's the sister of Martha. Martha, unfortunately, has gone down in history as the great complainer. You know, I reckon Martha got the raw end of the stick, all the task oriented people in the room. We look at Martha, who's just slaving away to serve Jesus, and go, That's not fair. Everyone's pointed at her in that way for the last 2,000 years, while Mary's just sitting on her backside on Jesus' feet, just lapping it all up. But really important moment. When Jesus allows Mary to sit at his feet, he's saying, She can be my disciple. That was unheard of for women at the time. They didn't get to do that. Jesus, the Son of God, saying, women, get to do that. Mary gets to be like all the blokes and be in my presence and receive my good news. Not only that, but Jesus had also raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, the original dead man walking, he's been placed in the tomb. Jesus rocks up. Mary's distraught. She loves. Some of you would be maybe not as upset as Mary if your brother died, but Mary's distraught. She loves her, her brother. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he walks out alive. And Jesus turns up at Mary's place for dinner another time. And it's just before he's about to go to the cross. And Mary, it says in verse 3, takes an expensive bottle of ointment or perfume and pours, in John chapter 12, verse 3, and pours it over Jesus' feet, washes his feet with a hair. And the word expensive is the same word used in Matthew chapter 13 about the expensive pearl. It means exceedingly precious More precious than anything anyone, anything else that you own. It was the most expensive thing that Mary owned. So expensive, in fact, that Judas, in verse 5, says, Why wasn't that 300 denarii bottle of perfume sold and given to the poor? Now, the average worker at the time earned one denarii a day, and that means that for a six day a week worker, which most people were, the year's wages. This was Mary's nest egg for the future. She's holding in her hands. But she decided the joy of knowing Jesus, of being in his presence, was far greater than the cost of worshipping him, of following him. She pours out her future on his feet and worships the saviour of the world. I'm telling you people, the joy, when you really get to know him, the joy of knowing him is greater than the cost of following him. Paul worked this out. Paul's a little bit like the fine pearl merchant. Pearl had a, Paul had, it's hard saying Paul and pearl in the same sentence. I can draw parabolas, but I can't do that. Paul was a little bit like the pearl merchant. He'd amassed some really good things in his life. He actually says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I got the perfect pedigree. He says, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, I was, um, what's the next bit say? Uh, Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I got the perfect pedigree. And then he goes on to say, I'd also, before I met Jesus, had unparalleled performance. No no one had done more than me to please God. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was absolutely blameless. Paul had accumulated some fine pearls in his life. Perfect pedigree, unparalleled performance. A man that's been seeking God his whole life, and he didn't stumble upon the treasure of God. The treasure went and found him. He was walking on his way to Damascus and the resurrected Jesus just knocked him off his bike. Completely transformed his life. And this is what Paul goes on to say of his perfect pedigree and his unparalleled performance. He says, I now consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I now consider those things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And then in verse 10, he finishes this bit by saying, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Him. Even if it means sharing in His sufferings, I want to know Him. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. I don't care what I've accumulated in the past. I'll gladly give it all up just to know Jesus. Lord and Saviour. Mary got it. Paul got it. The joy of knowing Jesus is always greater than the cost of following Jesus. And don't get me wrong, you can't buy your way to heaven. That's not what this is saying. You can't earn your way to God. It's the exact opposite of what Paul's saying. Grace is a free gift, but there is a cost to following Jesus. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, but I reckon what we do is we always think about this transactionally rather than relationally. And if you think about it, in any relationship that brings you joy, any relationship that, that brings you great joy, greatest joy in your life, there's a cost. There's a sacrifice to be made. Relationships don't become full of joy without a sacrifice. If you think about it relationally, Yeah, you know, greatest joy in my life is being married to Susan and, and having the kids that we have, greatest relationship I have, greatest joy that I find in relationship. But to see that relationship be filled with joy, there's sacrifices to be made. There's a sacrifice of time. You know, way back in the prehistoric past, when I was just getting to know Susan, I had to sacrifice some time to get to know her. There's a sacrifice of time. I had to sacrifice time that I could spend playing footy, hanging out with my mates, drawing parabolas, or riding around in Lycra. You know, there's a sacrifice. And if I don't sacrifice the time, I don't get the joy that comes from close relationship. But this is the cool bit, all right? This is the bit I really want us to get. What might actually start as a sacrifice is the very thing that becomes the joy. And so I look forward to spending time with Susan more than most things. Because the time that we have together brings me the greatest joy. It's the same with God. If if you want a relationship with God that's full of joy because of the intimacy you have, there's a sacrifice of time. You're going to have to sacrifice time glued to the TV or or Googling funny cat videos or, or, or making your bank balance bigger or whatever it is that's taking your time at the moment. You're going to have to sacrifice time from those things to actually get to know God. But this is the cool bit. It's actually what might start as a sacrifice becomes the very thing that gives you joy. And so as you grow in intimacy with God, as you get to know him more, you look forward to your time together. But you don't get the joy without the sacrifice. Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. The psalmist got it. There's a sacrifice of time to know joy in relationship with Jesus. There's a sacrifice of treasure. Who knows that having a girlfriend or a wife is very expensive? Just put your hand up if you know that. It is. It is. I I remember being in another relationship with a girl other than Susan and she broke up with me and and I wasn't so much broken hearted about the relationship but as she said it, I'm doing some math in my head. I'm thinking, I took you on four dates, twice to the movies, twice to dinner. You owe me $137. (laughs) It's expensive having a girlfriend. And as you have a wife, you've got to start to invest in a ring and you might start to invest in a home because those things are going to bring you joy. But we all know if you've been married for a little while that your money is no longer just your own. You know, what's mine becomes hers and what's hers is still her own. But... <laughs> actually, someone, someone... Stole Susan's credit card during the week, but I actually didn't bother reporting it to the police because the thief was spending less money than Susan. <laughs> That's it. I got, I got a bunch more, but I'm gonna stop there. There's a sacrifice of treasure. This is this is a real bit. All right, when you're in a relationship. You actually start to make sacrifices with your treasure, you invest into things that makes their heart beat, that's important to their heart. It's the same when we're in a relationship with Jesus. We start to sacrifice treasure that pleases Jesus' heart. and what pleases Jesus' heart? to care for the poor, to heal the sick. To make disciples, to welcome little children, I had the joy of speaking at uh, YC. They had a YC combined, um, not YC Gateway Youth combined Friday night. All youth from all five campuses came together Sunday night up in the loft in our in our kids and youth building. Great night! Place was just full of. Uh, full of young people worshipping Jesus. And I, I was standing at the back, mostly because, you know, it was too loud and I'm almost a grandpa. And, uh, you know, the music wasn't quite my style and then all the kids were dancing and I hate dancing. But I, I'm standing at the back. I'm watching these young people on stage lead hundreds of young people in worship. And I started to get a little emotional. That was just this joy filling my heart. Nothing to do with the music no, nothing to do with the fancy light show that was going on. But there's a joy in seeing what God's doing in a generation of young people. And there was a reminder that I, have actually, I actually got to sacrifice some treasure to see this happen. And so have you. You see, there's a joy in giving. What, what actually might start as a sacrifice actually becomes the joy The joy of seeing his kingdom come in a bunch of kids' hearts. I'm telling you, if that doesn't excite you in this day and age, I don't know what will. Why doesn't someone just praise Jesus right now that we've got hundreds of young people in that place on a Friday night worshipping Jesus? There's joy in seeing his kingdom come. What starts as a sacrifice actually becomes the very thing that brings joy. The church in Macedonia got it. It's why Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says copy them. He says out of of the poverty that they were living in, there was an overwhelming joy and they gave with a rich generosity. There's joy in giving. You don't get the joy without the sacrifice there's a sacrifice of time, there's a sacrifice of treasure and lastly there's a sacrifice of entitlement I really wanted three T's and so I kind of found one with entitlement you know for a marriage relationship to work there's a sacrifice of entitlement you know when Susan and I get into a spirited discussion it's what pastors have when you fight we, we, we don't fight. We have a of discussion. That's not true. We fight. Right? When we fight, I get entitled. If I've been hurt, I feel entitled to hurt back. If I feel angry, I feel entitled, entitled to make everyone in the house angry. If I feel bitter, envious and rage I feel entitled for that bitterness to spill out onto everyone involved Now, I think we all know that holding on to that entitlement isn't a good recipe for joy same thing in our relationship with God you you can say well I'm entitled to be hurt I'm entitled to be angry. I'm entitled to be stingy. I'm entitled to be unforgiving. Look what's happened to me. You know, I'm entitled to do things my way, to make myself happy. And and that's the entitled generation we live in. We feel completely entitled in in life. Life is all about doing whatever I jolly well please to, to make me as happy as I possibly can. And I say, Go for it if you want to. But it's not what's going to bring you joy. Your creator and redeemer, the one who brought you back from sin and death, says, i got another plan. Matthew chapter 16, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must carry their cross, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, hold on to their entitlements, you'll lose it. But whoever's willing to lose their life, is ever whoever's willing to give away their entitlements, to give away hurt, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, rage, they'll find life. They'll find fullness of joy. See, the parables of the kingdom are always just turning the thinking of our selfish, sinful world on its head. There's a sacrifice of time, there's a sacrifice of treasure, there's a sacrifice of entitlement to follow Jesus. But the joy of knowing him will always be far greater than the cost of following him. Does anyone believe that here this morning? The joy of knowing Jesus is greater than the cost of following Jesus. Does anyone agree with me this morning? The joy, the joy of knowing Jesus is greater Than the cost of following Jesus. You can hold on to your entitlement, but joy is not in entitlement. Joy is in surrender to the one who gave everything for you. You know, some struggle to surrender to Jesus as Savior. They say, I'm okay, I'm a good person. Surely good people go to heaven. I don't need a Savior. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe God's changing your mind this morning because your joy meat is not that full. Some struggle to surrender to Jesus as Lord and King. Or we say, hey, I'm doing my life my way. I don't need anyone who knows me better than myself telling me how to know the fullness of joy. Thank you very much. I'll do it my way. And maybe that's you this morning. Uh, maybe Jesus is calling you to a place of surrender to know the fullness of joy that he promises. You know, we need to remember that these parables of Jesus actually point to a need for a saviour today and for all of eternity. And we have a saviour who knows. He knows personally what it's like to find great joy in great sacrifice. He understands what it's like to come to earth as a man and have a joy meter. He gets it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he got it. He knew the cost of following through on what God had asked him to do. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For the joy set before him. For the joy that was in front of him, for the joy that was coming, for the joy that he could see that would one day be his, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy set before him? The joy of being seated at the right hand. Seated is really important. It means his job is finished. On the cross, the last three words that came out of his mouth are, it is finished. He knew the joy set before him was glorifying the Father, being seated at the right hand, and in doing so, finishing the job that he came to do, redeeming all of mankind, buying us back, from sin and death. He knew the cost in the garden of Gethsemane. He knew the price he was going to have to pay. He knew the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that he was coming. And he weighed it all up. In his humanness, he said, God, there's got to be another way. But in the end, he said, for the joy set before me, I'll endure that cross. I'll scorn its shame. I'll be seated at the right hand and I'll redeem all of mankind. Jesus on the cross said, sold. It's going to cost everything I got, but I'm sold. Now this is the incredible bit. We've got a Saviour who promises us the fullness of joy. If we will choose to make the sacrifice to follow Him, this is the incredible bit. The God of heaven Looks at you this morning, and he says, "You're my treasure. You're my treasure that I'm willing to give everything for. I'm willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for you." In First Peter two verse nine, he says, "You know, once we weren't a people, once we were no one, but, but now you're my people, you are my treasured possession, you're my treasure." I've called you out of darkness. I made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross to pull you out of darkness and into the light to declare my praises for all of eternity. He looks at you, says, you're my treasure that's worth the cost. I'll do it for you. The joy, every time you see a for sale sign, stuck in someone's front yard, I want you to remember there is a cost, but the joy of knowing Him will always be greater than the cost of following. Whatever you're walking through right now, and I know some of you are walking through some tough stuff. I get it. Some of you are thinking maybe it would just be easier to let go and do my own thing. I'd love you to have rattling around in your mind as we pray for you in a minute. I'd love to God to do something in your heart just be reminded this morning that the joy of knowing him is greater than any cost of following him. We've got, we got a little uh, wallpaper to put on your phone. You can download, go to the website, in the book. It's, every week there'll be one of these, just simple point, making the main point of life the main point of our lives. Just reminder every day during this week, the joy of knowing him is greater than the cost of following him, whatever the cost is. You know, this morning, I'd just love to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray for a bunch of people down the front as we sing our last song. and get the band to come up, but I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you're here and you haven't yet known the joy of knowing your Creator, of knowing your Saviour, you haven't yet surrendered to Jesus as your Saviour, as the one who went to the cross, to make a way for you to come into God's presence for all of eternity and you haven't surrendered to Jesus as the King. So I'm going to do life your way from now on because doing it my way, my joy meter is low. Wherever you're at this morning, if this is a decision that you're making for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'd love to lead you in a prayer, just saying, yes, Jesus. I surrender to you as my Saviour and as my King. Just ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads for just a moment this morning. If that's the prayer you want to pray this morning, I'm going to lead you in in just a minute. But as an act of faith, can I get you right now just to stick up your hand and say, that's my prayer today. It's the prayer I know I need to pray to ask Jesus to be my Saviour and my King. Just stick your hand up just so I can see it. No one else needs to see it right now. But if I can see it, that'd be great. Just stick it up just for a minute just so I know. Know who I'm praying this prayer with. Who's here today? You just say, that's that's my prayer. Bless you. That's cool. Who else this morning? You say, that I'm joining in that prayer. I, I want to be part of that prayer. Just stick your hand up just for a minute so I can see it. That's cool. Hey, just pray. If that's you this morning, just pray along. Pray along with me and with everybody. I'm just going to ask us to pray out loud together. If you believe in this prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for always loving me. Come and pray it out. Heavenly Father, thank you for always loving me. I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned against you. I thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to die for me. I ask today that you would forgive my sins. I choose today to follow Jesus as my king. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.